battling the relentlessly negative doom and gloom news media. It's the Nick Stenger Show. Coming to you live from the Stenger Family Office Headquarters, it's your host, Nick Stenger. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Nick Stenger Show. My name is Nick Stenger. We are the Stenger Family Office for the past 42 long years. It's been our mission to deliver both clarity and confidence to help secure your financial future. I apologize a little bit under the weather today. Had a little caught a cold over the weekend. Not sure exactly where it came from, uh, but my son is sick. My wife somehow is okay. We'll see. I don't know. Hopefully she doesn't get sick too. That would be a full house of sick people. So we're hoping that doesn't happen, but bear with me here. Hopefully you can hear me clearly enough. Episode 138, the first episode of the new year. Happy new year to you and your family. Hope you had a wonderful Christmas. Hope you enjoyed the Christmas show and also had a wonderful and Merry Christmas. We are off to a rocky start for the first couple of days in the stock market of 2024 but that's okay. We're just getting started. It's the beginning of the year and we've got a lot of baseball left to play. We're just getting going. Lots of stories that we're going to cover all year long. Before I jump in, I just want to remind you, if you're watching on YouTube, Spotify, or Apple, go ahead, subscribe. It helps us out, helps us get the show to more people, delivering clarity and confidence to all of them as well. Our goal here is to make sure that we keep people on their plans, that we provide the opposite of the doom and gloom, maybe even the antidote to the doom and gloom, which is just data and, and all the good things that are going on behind the scenes. And, and so subscribe to the show, get it out, share it with friends and family, because I believe we are in for some volatility. We'll get into that in just a second. We're probably due for a correction at some point early this year. We'll see what happens. So get the show out to them. Subscribe to it. Send it to your friends and family. Why? Because we want to keep everybody on their plan. Okay, a couple of big events coming to you, and I know there are ways out, but I want to get them on your radar now so you don't schedule over them. April 17th, I believe that's a Wednesday night. Gibson's in Oak Brook. Uh, don't miss it. Great venue. Great speaker coming. Uh, got to confirm the speaker, so I don't want to say his name quite yet, but we got a really good speaker lined up here. It looks like April 17th in Oak Brook, Illinois, Gibsons. If you're with us, come join us for that. And uh, April 24th, we'll be down in Houston. We'll be at the Woodlands True Lux. It's our classic event, best event we do down there all year long. You can't miss it. Come down April 24th, uh, True Lux in the Woodlands. Okay, let's jump in. Episode 138. Couple of stories I want to cover before we jump into this week's article, which I entitled Five Lessons for 2023. First of all, kicking off this year, Apple is down 7% from its record all-time high. It got pretty darn close to 200 a share, didn't quite hit it, got pretty close, and now it's down about 7% from peak levels. Everybody is using this as a thing to point to to say, "Hey, we should panic. Apple's down, the biggest company in the S&P. What's going to happen to the rest of the year? Well, obviously, after coming off of a 50% increase last year in 2023, we really shouldn't be overly shocked that Apple's down or taking a little bit of a breather here. You don't go up in a straight line forever. And so all these people saying, oh, it's doom and gloom. The sky is falling. Apple is down. The world is coming to an end. 
I like to remind them that Apple's up like three or 400% or something crazy the past five years. So who cares if it's down 7%? Why does it matter? It's still a great company. They've got tons of cash on their balance sheet. They make a great product. It's called the iPhone, which you're probably, a lot of you are listening to this show on. And uh, by the way, if you stray away from the iPhone, you are now kicked out of your family. Okay. That's just how it works. There's no other product on earth other than the iPhone, where if you leave the product or the service, you are now ostracized from your family group chat. Now you have green text messages instead of blue. So do you really want to do that? No, everybody wants blue text messages. Apple is the dominating force behind that. You're not going to switch to an Android. Some of you are on Android, not knocking Android. Android's great too. That's Google. My point, by the way, Google's a great company. Apple, Google, Netflix, Facebook, all of them. They're great stocks. They've got tons of cash. They've got great business models. They are monopolistic like never before. And I'm not saying everything about that is perfect, but it's created a massive, massive amount of profit in value for people like you and I, their shareholders. So stay the course, stay the course in Apple, stay the course in Google, stay the course in Meta. All these stocks, which came off of terrible returns, they got decimated in 2022. They roared back in 2023. And now people are going to say, oh, all these big tech stocks aren't performing this year. First of all, it's very early. It, we are very, very uh, early into this year to decide that already. I really disagree with that. But my point is, is uh, I believe even if big tech takes a little breather this year, which it might, it might just kind of chug along. And instead of being up 50%, Apple's only up 10% for the year or something like that. Nobody knows for sure, but who cares? It's still a great company. Why in the world would you ever panic and sell that stock? So you're going to see more of this. You're going to see more companies take breathers. You're going to see more companies correct down. If they were up 50% last year, maybe they correct down 10%. Now they're still up 40%. Who cares? They still produce great returns. So don't panic. Don't let yourself get pulled off your plan because of these goofball stories coming out of CNBC and Bloomberg and Fox Business. And we love all those media outlets. They're all great. They're all wonderful. But they are not there to give you financial advice. They're not your financial advisor. They're not your financial planner. And by the way, a lot of their hosts, not going to name any names, but a lot of their hosts, everything they do, if you did the opposite, you'd be up like 500% the past 10 years. They're contraindicators. Again, not naming names, but there are plenty of hosts on those shows where you should not listen to what they say. If somebody is not actively managing money, and we're going to get into this in the article in a second, but if somebody's not actively managing money like a portfolio manager like us and a lot of other people out there who are very good at this, what we would say is why should you listen to them? They don't have to produce a track record unless you're sitting there charting out, this is what they said here, this is what they said there. We do do that, by the way. I have that folder. Remember the doom and gloom file where we take all the doom and gloom project predictions throughout the year. We put it in a file so we can go back to it later and say, hey, none of this came true. And then we'll bring that up to you next time we go through some doom and gloom so you don't panic next time. But all that to say, the people you should be listening to in on Wall Street are the ones who actually manage money because they produce a performance report, they produce results, they have to produce results, or else they're kicked to the curb. You'd fire, you'd fire us if over a long period of time we didn't perform. So that's why we have clients. That's why we built the business over the years is because we've done a good job for our, our families. So that's the reality. Listen to the people who actually have to produce results. 
One of one such person who does not have to produce results is a gentleman by the name of Harry Dent. I actually completely forgot about this guy. Uh, somebody brought him up to me. Actually, a couple of people have brought him up to me. They're saying, Nick, look at this article. They're sending these emails. They're saying, look at this guy. He says the stock market, the S&P this year, is going to go down 84%. And I'm looking at that. I'm going, who cares? Look, This guy, uh, Harry, okay, again, I forgot about him. You only hear from him once a year in December and January, and he's saying the world's coming to an end. Well, if you actually go back and do the digging and look at everything he said, he's been calling for a correction, a depression, a recession every single year for like 15 years. So so the people like that that are out there every year saying doom and gloom is coming, yeah, once in a while they'll get it right. You know, once in a while, uh, uh, you know, it will be an economic hurricane. But more often than not, just intuitively, we know this because over time stocks go up, economy gets better, people do better, they have better living standards, all the all the great stuff that we're all rooting for. Um, corporations get more profitable, they produce more dividends, all that stuff. Because we know stocks go up over time, there's no way that a doom and gloomer statistically can be right more than they're wrong. So about 10% of the time they're right, about 90% of the time they're wrong. If I told you that I was going to be wrong 90% of the time, uh, you would never tune into another show. You would never be our client. You'd never want to hear another thing I had to say. You'd be out the door so quickly. But these people, these strategists, these timers, these traders, and by the way, they exist at the highest levels of Wall Street. The most reputable firms have them on their payroll. These guys can say whatever they want because nobody remembers and they move on. People's memory is, is super, super short term, especially in this environment. And so they know they can get away with just making crazy predictions. Once in a while, they do get it right. And then Netflix comes along and says, hey, we'd like to do a documentary on you. We'd like to have you do a book tour. We'd like to do this and that. And then they come out and they try to repeat that the next year. It never works. It almost never. They're never right twice. So uh, that is the issue. Uh, do not listen to the goofballs. Do not listen to the narrative. Do not listen to the doom and gloomers. I'm telling you right now, just like I told you last episode, a correction is coming. Do not be alarmed. Do not be surprised. We're about to start making our first quarter check-in calls, and we're going to re be reaching out to you if you're one of our clients. And I'm going to tell you today what I'm going to tell you on that quarterly call, and I'm going to tell you the next quarterly call, is there is a recession, or, or I'm sorry, a correction coming. There eventually will be a recession coming, whether it's in 2024, which I haven't necessarily agreed with. I don't necessarily think we're going to get a recession this year. Doesn't matter. Maybe we get it in 25. Maybe we get it in 26. A correction is coming and eventually a recession is coming. Keep that in the back of your mind. Do not be alarmed. Do not be surprised. Some of you, as I have said this in our last call or our last episodes we've done, we've talked. You said, Nick, what should we do with that information? Should we be doing something different with our portfolio? Should we be adjusting? Should we be uh, uh, taking some profits? And the answer is yes, we already did take profit. We did our rebalance in November. We've already been taking profits. We've been distributing some of those profits on stuff that hasn't done as well, that's underperformed, that's actually, I think, set this year to do great. And we've also bolstered your portfolio with some fixed income, some very high quality short-term U.S. treasuries, especially if you're retired. Why? So that when we go through a downturn, you're not panicking. You're not worried about your money going down. You've got three to five years of living expenses set aside. 
you're good to go. So should you be doing anything differently? No, we've already planned ahead. We've already done all the hard work. We've already prepared for doom and gloom. We've already prepared for a rainy day. When you first signed up with us, that's called a goals-based plan. We are not going to be reactionary. We are not going to be trading. We're not going to be you know, panicking. We're not going to be worried and up at 2 a.m. thinking about, oh, the sky is falling. We're going to buy more when stuff gets cheap. And that leads me into five lessons from 2023, episode 138, the first episode of 2024. 2023, if you think about last year, was the year that defied all expectations, especially the most bearish expectations on Wall Street. Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Citibank, Barclays, Morgan Stanley, UBS all said the S&P 500 would end the year at 4,000 points or less. Instead, the stock market closed out 2023 at 4769, just a few points shy of its record 2022 level. One lone voice, and not just one, there are a couple, Tom Lee of Fundstrat Global Advisors, a former JP Morgan uh, uh, researcher. We had uh, Ed Yardeni, a really, really uh, a great guy, legend in the business. He was another lone voice in the wilderness. They called foul. They said stocks would instead be over 47.50. Tom Lee almost nailed the call. Ed Yardeni was basically right. He was a little bit higher than 47.50. Uh, same thing with us. If you go back and read our research from the end of 2022 going into 2023, we said stocks are cheap. Don't get bearish. Don't get nervous. Don't worry. Stocks are going to go up. Now, I said stocks could get over 5,000 points, and, and that was based on the idea that maybe rates would stabilize a little sooner than they actually are. That's okay. We were still directionally right. If you listened to us back at the end of 2022, you would have bought stocks, you would have gotten into big tech, you would have bought the stuff that got hammered, and you would have been up 30, 40, 50% on a lot of these companies, sometimes even more. So how did so many people get it wrong in 2023? I think there's a few key reasons. Most importantly, though, it's something called the herd mentality. It's everybody jumping off the cliff together. It's like your mother taught you growing up. If everybody's jumping off the cliff or the bridge, are you going to do it too? Well, for a lot of people on Wall Street, yes. The answer is yes, we would like to all jump off and hold hands together because it's much more comfortable to be in the herd and not be that lone wolf, the lone voice in the wilderness saying this is not the best idea. People are much happier to stay in the comfort of the herd and be wrong than they are to be right. And in a lot of cases on Wall Street, people are too afraid to be right. The other thing with Wall Street is they cater to a lot of hedge funds. A lot of their biggest clients that pay the most fees are hedge fund managers. And because of that, these, these hedge fund managers basically are always bearish. Remember, hedging means when the market goes down, we're still going to try and make money. We're hedging the downside. That's a hedge fund, right? Because hedge funds are Wall Street's biggest clients, some of their biggest clients, they love the bearish, re bearish research. So again, you've got to get past the strategists and the researchers and the market chimers and the traders versus the portfolio managers. Because you could take any one of these firms I mentioned, Bank of America, Goldman, City, Barclays, Morgan Stanley, UBS. You could take any one of these firms and you can find people at those firms who have been dead wrong and people who have been dead wrong spot on right. 
over the years. The people that have been right have typically been portfolio managers. The people that have been wrong have been the strategists, and they exist at all these firms. The problem with the media is they never, I shouldn't say never, they sometimes cover these people, but they rarely cover the portfolio managers. They usually just cover the strategists because if it bleeds, it leads. We all know that doom and gloom sells a lot better than good news. Anyways, the other thing and the other problem with the bearish pundits is being bearish sounds smarter than being bullish. And I talked about this on that Market Outlook webinar. Go watch it. It's on YouTube. Check it out if you haven't already. But I talked about the fact that bears sound smart, but bulls make you money. The bulls make you money because the stock market favors optimism. And that's one of the five lessons that we'll get into in a second. The people that actually manage money have no choice but to be bullish because stocks go up. It's just statistics. The doomers that have been wrong 90% of the time that don't have to produce performance reports, in my opinion, are out of line with just basic human nature, basic markets 101, basic economics 101. Human beings want to do better every single year. If we made 100 grand in income last year, we want to make 101,000 this year. That's just in our nature. And so if you're bullish, if you're an optimist, you are squarely in line with human nature. All right, five lessons. We will wrap up on this here over the next couple of minutes. Five things that I have pulled out that I think you should be thinking about. Five things that we should have learned from 2023 that I hope you take into 2024 with you. Number one, short-term bonds beat long-term bonds. During the March bank failures, notably SVB and First Republic, it was obvious how poorly managed these institutions were. Further, these banks bought risky long-term bonds, assuming rates would never rise. When rates did rise, a bank run was triggered. Why? Because when rates go up, what happened to bond prices? They go down. And by the way, typically a long-term bond is supposed to pay more interest than a short-term bond. Why? Because it's riskier. So the longer duration an asset is, the longer you have to hold that uh, in your portfolio, the more you're supposed to be compensated. During COVID, rates were zero. Short-term rates were nothing. So what happened on the long end of the curve, the long end of the yield curve, was bonds for 30 years only paid 1.5%. SVB loaded up on those 1.5% bonds. So did First Republic. So did a, a, a handful of other banks. And when rates eventually did rise, they had to mark those bonds down. They had to make money available for investors. And that's what led to their demise. Another thing that happened last year was people bought safe stocks, or I should say so-called safe stocks, in hopes that they would be protected with those stocks for market volatility. But remember, stocks are not supposed to be a hedge against volatility. Stocks are not supposed to be safe. Don't ever buy a stock thinking, oh, this stock is going to keep me warm and fuzzy like a blanket, like a onesie you know, from the uh, Sky Mall magazine. That's not why you buy a stock. You buy a stock to beat inflation and grow your portfolio over the long run. If you want warm and cozy and safe, what do you do? You buy a treasury. Don't ever get those two things backwards. And that's the mistake I believe most people made last year, professional investors included, a lot of financial advisors, where they bought risky long-term bonds that they were reaching for yield with. That's what it's called, reaching for yield. We can only get 1.5%, so let's buy a riskier bond where we can get 3.5%. Well, typically in bonds, bonds are just math. The riskier a bond is, the higher the yield. 
So it's not always that a high yield bond is a good idea. Sometimes it's just high risk. A short term bond, okay, like right now, a short term treasury will pay five and a half percent or five percent somewhere in that zone is not going to be as much of a winner when rates go down. Okay. They won't rally quite as much. That's okay because they do protect you on the downside. So that's the market. That's the portfolio math that you have to understand. Do not buy stocks for safety and don't buy bonds to, to beat the market. You're supposed to buy bonds to be safe. You're supposed to buy stocks to beat inflation. All right. So that's number one, short-term bonds beat long-term bonds. Number two, Buy and hold beats market timing. I cannot tell you how many volumes of research exist out there that show how poorly market timers do over the long run. Once in a while, they make money. From time to time, in different periods, they do okay. But nobody knows consistently when to hold them, when to fold them, when to walk away, and when to run. That's the problem. So even if you're right getting out, even if you were right and you timed it perfectly during COVID and you got out right before the crash in March of 2020, the problem is, is you got to know when to get back in. You have to be right twice. And statistically, that's nearly impossible. Worse yet, if you mistime the market, you will miss out on some of the biggest days, the face ripper days, where stocks go up 5% in one day. That happens all the time, right? When stocks went down 5%, a couple of days later, they go up 5%. So there's no way you're possibly going to time that correctly over the long run. I think the Warren Buffett, the Charlie Munger mentality of buy and hold, you get good companies, you keep them in your portfolio the long run, for the long run, you take some profit, you do some rebalancing. That's the way to go. It's a lot more boring. It's not that exciting. It doesn't uh, sell you know, hedge funds. It doesn't raise assets for a, a fancy new hedge fund or anything like that, but it works. And there's plenty of research, by the way, that shows that the traders and the timers and the hedge fund people have underperformed buy and hold large cap U.S. investors for 50 years. So I just don't understand this rush to try and get into the fancy market timing. Rather, it's the boring, steady as she goes, tortoise, that wins the race. Overtime stocks go up. Number three, contrarianism beats the herd. Without Wall Street, without the herd, nobody would ever make money in the market. Why? Because you need two sides of a market to have a market. You need buyers and sellers. Over time, though, patient equity buyers crush the panicking sellers. So if you're a timer, if you're a trader, and you're panicking every time something bad happens in the news, or you're worried every time there's something that little, little inflation print that's a little higher than you expected and you sell your stocks. Well, guess who you're selling to? You're selling to people buying. You're selling to us, quite frankly, buying on behalf of our clients. And in fact, there's never a better time than when people are panicking to come in with cash and, and, and be allocating to some of these stocks that are down 20, 30, 40, 50%. That's what we did at the end of 22. We did it in 2023 in October when markets were down. We're going to do it in 2024 this year. Don't forget that people who sell and panic sell to people who are buy and hold patient long-term investors and that those stocks that those people buy over time recover almost every time. If you buy 20, 30, 40, 50 stocks, you'll be fine. Now, obviously, once in a while, a company never comes back. Okay. That's just part of the markets, but that's why we don't just put you in one company. We don't just put you in five companies. We've got a portfolio that's diversified. 
All right, moving along, number four, capitalism beats communism. I know this is so obvious to say. I It's kind of crazy I even have to say it, but capitalism beats communism. So for all of the people out there who are trying to uh, uh, understand how maybe we could flirt with a little bit of socialism or maybe we could get a little bit cozy with communism here, be careful because every place that communism has been tried – it blows up. The whole country collapses. I mean, look, you may not like Javier Mille in Argentina. You may think, oh, he's the Trump of Argentina. We don't like him. All right, fine. I whatever. You love love the guy, hate the guy. I could care less. It's not, I, I really don't care. But what you do have to realize is that the policies he's prescribing in Argentina, Argentina are small government, they're capitalist-based, and they're going to push Argentina back towards common sense. Now, at some point, he may go too far, and we're going to have some checks and balances there. But that's what we have to have, is we've got to have com common sense. And the problem with communism is it does not align with common sense. It does not align with human nature. And, and, and ultimately, what occurs in communism is you actually get a worse wealth gap. You think the wealth gap in the U.S. is bad? Try and go to Cuba, okay? Try and go to some of these places in Europe that have been taken over by socialism and communism. Try and go to Venezuela, okay? It's the rich oligarchs at the top and everybody else who has nothing at the bottom. And China is in a large way in the same boat. So capitalism is the only system on earth. I know it's not perfect. I know it's got its issues. However, it's the only system on earth that brings up everybody and it may bring up people more slowly from generation to generation but over time our living standards have gotten better capitalism has created the best technology on earth and in the u.s it's attracted people from all over the world the best and brightest minds we've got the best chinese here we've got the best japanese we've got the best mexicans we've got the best uh, europeans we've got everybody why because of capitalism because if you do a good job and you work hard and you and you grow a business or you work you work your way up a company your net worth belongs to you that's the beauty of this country. And we are never, ever, ever going to buy into this lie that China is a better place to invest in the U.S. In the 80s, it was the Japanese. They were going to take over. They were going to be number one. Never happened. And the Japanese have a massive mess on their hands. I believe the same thing is true with China and the U.S. will continue to dominate. Last but not least, number five, optimism beats pessimism. It's hard to believe, but the world is getting better each and every year. And if you go back over the generations, you go back over the decades, maybe you even just talk to your great-grandmother, like I used to when she was alive, my, my grandmother too, who escaped the Nazis in Hungary. She came over here as a young girl. And um, you know what she said? She goes, Nick, first of all, the U.S. is the best place on earth. Number two, okay, uh, you don't know how bad we had it back in Hungary. You don't know how bad we had it back where we came from. Talk to anybody, okay? They love this place. Being an optimist works. Why? Because slowly over time, things get better. And so the people who are pessimistic, in my opinion, maybe this is controversial, I don't know, but my opinion is they don't have any perspective. They've never been in a different place in the world. They've never understood just how bad some people have it and a, how a lot of the world actually lives in in in, uh, in in poverty. Now, those numbers have gotten better. Child mortality rates have dropped. Poverty rates have dropped. People living under that $2 a day has dropped. So things are getting better. But 
I'll say it again, and I'll go back to number four. It's been entrepreneurs, not the government. It's been entrepreneurs that have lifted people out of abject poverty. They've innovated. They've created wealth like we can't even believe. And that wealth over time has created unbelievable outcomes for this entire world. We've got people living longer than ever before. We've got people uh, surviving cancer like never before. We've got just some of the best medical technology. So stay optimistic, stay bullish. There's going to be 25 reasons this year to panic, to jump ship, to get off your plan, to call me, which you're welcome to. If you're a client, call us up, say, hey, Nick, I'm a little worried right now. I will talk you off the ledge. That's fine. We do that all the time. But stay on your plan. Don't actually act on your fear. It's okay to feel it. It's okay to say, Nick, here's the 25 reasons I'm nervous right now. Just don't panic. Don't hit that sell button. You will come to regret it. Have a goals-based plan. Make sure you're rebalancing. Make sure you got enough for three to five years of living expenses if you're retired or approaching retirement. If you are working, if you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, stocks for the long run. Dr. Jeremy Siegel, equities, equities, equities. Why would you ever panic? Why would you ever get worried in your 40s? Unless you're specifically saving for a goal that's coming up, very soon, stay bullish. Don't be like the uh, a lot of millennials right now who are more bearish than the the boomers. Okay, you've got to be an optimist. You got to be on your plan. You got to be bullish, and be a little bit contrarian. Don't be contrarian just for fun. You know, do it because you've got a good reason. And the good reason is that people are panicking and selling us stocks, buy and hold. Okay, that's going to be a lot better for you than market timing. And then just make sure that you understand portfolio math. Stocks are for the long run. Bonds are to protect you on the downside. Thanks for being with us. Episode 138. We'll see you next week for episode 139. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget about the events coming up. April 17th, Gibson's and Oakbrook. April 24th, the Woodlands, Houston, True Lux. Don't miss it. We'll see you next week.